Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Caught Red Podcast. We are your host. I'm Megan Light. And I'm Jesse Light. Thank you, everyone, who is returning for a listen, and hello to anybody new this week. Last week, I said that we are going to do something a little different, a little uh, quote-unquote treat, and we can say that word because right now we don't have our puppies around us. I know we normally focus on local cases, but since we're on our anniversary trip in Gulf Shores, we were thinking, you know, why not change it up? And originally, we were talking about doing a case that was based out of here and then decided to change it again. So we started looking up vanishings on vacations, which is pretty romantic, I know. <laughs> and another surprise, Jesse is going to be doing today's case. Yeah, this is like the only case that I know and she's not familiar with, yes, so this he's, should be interesting. <laughs> he's been working really hard. He's learned it front to back. Uh, he's read multiple sources. He's listened to other podcasts. He's been digging deep in the trenches for this. And It's not an easy case either. It's just mind-blowing. Overwhelming, but I'm going to try my best. Yeah, I don't know if you ever tried this hard in college from what he's told me. <laughs> Just soccer and ladies, am I right? Or whatever. <laughs> uh, another twist, like he was saying, is that I have, I don't even know what this case is. I mean, I know the name and the generalization about it, but I have no idea what's going to happen with this. So I'll be learning alongside all of you because uh, all I know is his name and the things that Jesse feels like he's had to vent about. And I'm like, ah, don't stop, stop. Tell me. I want to hear it with everybody else. So I've tried not to Google anything. And uh, I'm very excited. So if you're ready to just jump on in, love. Let's do it. Let's do go it. Go big or go home. Let's go, love. So the sources for this case was greenwitchmag.com, cbsnews.com, and newstime.com. And this is a story about George Smith. He was on a cruise ship, and I'm pretty familiar with cruise ships. Yeah. Megan's not a huge fan, but I've probably been on seven or eight of them. I've been on two, technically, but I would kind of call them, like, one altogether because they were both those, like, the shorter versions, just a couple of days out yeah. to sea, and then you come, come back pretty much. Yeah, I've been on seven-day cruises, four-day cruises, five-day cruises. That's so. the light family trip tradition is... A cruise, apparently. It was before COVID and all that happened, so... But, introducing the case of George Smith, so... Okay, I'm this ready. This is a very well-known case. It was on Oprah Winfrey, Nancy Grace, 48 Hours. All that jazz. So, you've probably heard of it. Megan has not, somehow, but... <laughs> well, I see cruise, and I'm like, eh. <laughs> it's a very heartbreaking case, and it's really just a total disaster. A lot of misinformation out there. A lot of different stories being told. So do your own research, too. You'll go down a sp downward spiral. Rabbit hole. Yeah. I mean, you'll be searching for hours on this thing, probably. But George Smith, he was 26 years old on the Royal Caribbean Brilliance of the Seas on July 5th, 2005, when he vanished and was presumed dead. So was it an accident? Mm. A murder? A suicide? Let's go. Yeah, I have I'm my excited. own opinion on this, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, I've heard it from another room being like, what? Yeah. Okay, love. <laughs> well, George Smith, he was a cool dude. He was very social, fun to be around. He was good looking, clean cut. He dressed like he had money. He was a ladies' man. 
his father, George Smith III, said he was the funniest guy. I would sit and have a couple beers with him, and he'd make me laugh for the whole night. And he was so good looking, the girls just fell all over him. He was just a lot of fun. He was a great guy. He graduated with a business degree from Babson College in Massachusetts and worked as a computer search engine analyst in Boston, but he didn't want a desk job. After all, he was very social. So he planned to use what he had learned in college and take over his father's liquor store in Greenwich, Connecticut, so that his father could enjoy his retirement. So it sounds like he had it all, but what was Mm -hmm. he missing? I don't know. You tell me. Someone to share it with. Oh, he needed someone to love. So he met Jennifer Hagel, and the two hit it off right away. Jennifer was an eye-catching blonde. She was pretty, smart, and a great personality. And she was about to become a third-grade teacher. Good for her. I get props to anybody that wants to be a teacher. She's got to have a lot of patience. Elementary school. Yeah. So three years of dating, and they would end up getting married. Their wedding was a fairy tale ceremony, and they spared no expense. They got married at Castle Hill Inn in Newport, a Victorian manse overlooking the Atlantic's granite cliffs and the ocean. So they spent a lot of money. <coughs> Completely not, not opposite us. of our mar- our wedding. Yeah. But teach his own. My ninety dollar dress from Dillard's. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look good. They received tons of gifts and money from guests, including a Breitling watch from his best man, which is valued anywhere from $4,000 to $40,000. It's a lot of nobles. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think the most expensive watch I've ever wore was like 50 bucks, maybe. The ones you buy me yeah. are like 55 60 depending. Mm-hmm. They're very awesome, by the way. They're uh, called Freestyle, the Shark Clips. They're not a sponsor. They're not, but... <laughs> He buys me like two a year because after I never take them off, so they just start turning different colors and smelling. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'm disgusting. Anything for you. Thank you. They left immediately after the wedding and flew to Barcelona to set sail on the Royal Caribbean cruise liner, Brilliance of the Seas. It was a 12-day cruise estimating at about $10,000. So they'd make stops in places like Greece, Italy, and Turkey. Oh, how cool. Yeah, that would be awesome. So if you've ever been on a cruise, which you have, but you see the same faces all the time. I mean, there's, what, 1,000, 2,000 people on the ship. Some of them just, like, hang out in their rooms the whole time. But other ones, you'll see them at the casino or at the comedy show or just in the line at the buffet. Mm -hmm. So there's only, like, a small number of blackjack and craps tables, too. So you're next to the same people every night. You get you become friends with the same people. So they met George and... Um, I'm sorry. George and Jennifer met newlywed couple by the names of Paul and Galena. They were really nice people, and you'll hear more about them later on. Okay. But at the first port, which was in Florence, Italy... George and Jennifer shared a taxi with the Askin family. They were from California, and they had a 20-year-old son named Josh Askin. And he just seemed like a troublemaker. You said 20? 20 years old, yeah. Which, you know, George is 26 and Jennifer's 25, so they're a little older than this guy. He can't even legally drink yet. True in the States, but when you're in international waters or the countries in Europe, you can drink when you're 18. Oh, I didn't think about that. So 
George and Josh ended up spending a lot of time together on the ship playing craps and blackjack in the casino. But on this particular day in Florence, Josh talked George into sneaking absinthe back on the board ship. So, sneaking alcohol <laughs> on board is actually really easy. I've done it a few times. I would just pour water out of these big bottles that they give you in your stateroom, and I'd bring the empty bottle with me to whatever port you're at, and I would buy alcohol and pour it into the water bottle. What a bad boy. And just stick it in my backpack, and they, they don't check your bags when you walk onto the ship. I've never so, met this I mean, this it's so him. easy, and that's carnival cruises. I don't know if Royal Caribbean's more strict or not, but it sounds like they're not. George actually puts the bottle in his waistband. And just the absinthe bottle in his waistband and just walks back onto the ship. Is that a bottle of alcohol? Are you just happy to see me? <laughs> right. <laughs> and if you don't know anything about absinthe, I'm a good boy. I've never tried absinthe. Okay. But this drink, this drink <laughs> is dangerous. So there are 110 to 114 proof of alcohol in this, which varies from 55 to 75% alcohol, mm -hmm. which is much higher than your normal bottles of alcohol, which vary from like 30 to 50% probably. God, I could smell it and be out. Yeah. The consumption of absinthe may result in a greater level of intoxication. As a result, your motor co coordination, perception, and judgment will be impaired. Now, this will also play an important role in our story later on. On the day of July 4th, Jennifer and George enjoyed a beautiful day in Greece. And this is the place George was most excited about. He loved Greece and just couldn't wait to be there. They took a lot of pictures, and they just looked very happy. And when they got back on the ship, they got ready for an elegant dinner. So if you mm -hmm. remember, there was like, two nights where everybody would dress up really nice and they'd have like these backgrounds that you could take pictures in front oh, of. Oh, yes. Right. Everybody yes. had on their suits and tuxes and fancy dresses. And that's what George and Jennifer love to do. They like to dress nice. They love to look like they had a lot of money. So hmm. yeah. Back in room 9062. That's their stateroom. Jennifer was getting ready in the bathroom and George was out on the balcony enjoying a cigar. He was wearing a nice suit, and of course he had on his Breitling watch. And Jennifer, of course, had on her engagement ring and wedding ring. And according to George's mom, it was the biggest diamond you'd ever seen from a South African jeweler. So, right off the bat, we're probably wearing our Enzo rings, you know. Yes. <laughs> Not a sponsor. <laughs> I wear that thing more than I do my actual band. Yeah, I bring my, will, my real uh, wedding stuff out on occasion and then you'll probably just see us in comfy gym, gym, clothes. gym clothes gym shorts t-shirts more than anything else huh well we did we got dressed up a few times on our vacation yeah i mean still shorts but yeah we tried slightly yeah. enough wash my hair <laughs> after dinner they headed straight to the casino they met up with paul and galena again and josh askin was also there and here is where we introduce you to the three Russian-Americans. Okay, so okay. three more names that I got to keep track of, but we'll try. You got this. So you have the cousins Greg and Zach Rosenberg, 
and their friend Rusty Kaufman. Now, Greg and Zach, they grew up in Brooklyn with like a street savvy type individuals, all within the ages of 18 and 20, also like around Josh's age. So like I said, when you're in international waters, 18 and older can gamble in the ship's casino Mm -hmm. as well as drink. So according to some of the cruise authorities, they had been cussing, causing problems on the ship since the start. One worker found them on the top deck smoking, drinking, cussing loudly. One night they called for room service and was cussing out the lady on the phone, told her to find their luggage too, or they'd throw her all overboard. Lord. (laughs) Yeah. So head of security said this is enough. They told the kitchen staff not to accept any more orders from their room. Okay. Okay. George and Jennifer, they had been enjoying themselves, drinking, you know, but they weren't the type to really go bar hopping. George was kind of a lightweight. Like Paul and Galinda said three or four beers they noticed, and he'd already feel pretty tipsy. But according to multiple reports, they were telling people that they had brought anywhere from $14,000 to $50,000 in cash with them onto the ship. Shut up. So uh, assuming that was like gifts from people from the wedding. But either way, whether that was true or not, that's not something you want to tell people. That's like that. You're just putting a huge target on your back, right? That's like that ATM um, business you follow on Instagram when they just flash all their cash. Yeah, that's not smart. Like, I know you think you're cool, but it's not a good idea. So at one point during their time in the casino, George and Josh head back to their rooms together to get more cash, so I'm assuming they were losing. <laughs> They're not like Vore. Yeah. <laughs> Shout Vore <out>. and Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> and they went back to drink more absinthe. Oh, God. Yeah. So I want to let y'all know, though, cruise line authorities, they have access to key card logs, so anytime you go to your room and you open your door, they can see what time that you go in there, so that... Most hotels do that as well, yeah, yes. I thought that was pretty cool, but that'll help later on in the investigation. And there's cameras all over the casino. The casino closes at 2.30 a.m., but before this, Paul and Galena, the other newlywed couple, are about to head back to their rooms, but they notice that George has had a lot more alcohol than usual, and like good friends, they advise him that he should probably just turn it in for the night, right? Just call it quits according to them at this time jennifer was fine and wasn't slurring her words so 2:30, she's fine wasn't slurring her words she was walking fine she also was seen talking to an older couple that she had spoken to a few other times throughout the trip and they were talking about how she couldn't wait to have a kid said they said she didn't appear to be tipsy and was standing and talking fine okay so 2:30, talking fine Got it. No slurring words, no nothing. George, on the other hand, he was feeling good. After the casino closes, George and Jennifer, Josh, and a man named Lloyd Botha, he's the casino manager. He's been hanging out with them. You know, I mean, they're in the casino all the time, so they pretty much know him by name. He goes up to the disco lounge with them in the elevator. Okay. Which stays open a couple hours past what the casino does. Josh will later claim that he found it odd that Lloyd had his arm around Jennifer Mm. and was flirting with her 
and George didn't really seem to notice. But that is weird. Ugh, what? Just, just makes me think about like when you wait tables or like when I worked at a bar. I mean, there's just sleazy people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, it's just what it is. Mm-hmm. And at the disco lounge, they end up joining the three Russian Americans at a table and continue drinking. Jennifer is seen again talking to Lloyd in a friendly manner. And shortly after this, George and Jennifer will get into an argument where Jennifer will be seen kicking George in the balls and then leaving the disco without him. Oh, my gosh. One witness will claim that it was a fake kick and just in fun, but another will say that it sent George to his knees. So it's all hearsay, really. George, Josh, and the three Russian-Americans will continue their night drinking and partying in the lounge. At this point, George can barely stand on his own. He will need all four of them to assist him back to his room. Jesus. But somehow, Josh and the three Russians have handled their liquor a lot better than George. So you got 18, 19, 20-year-olds who can handle their liquor better than a 26-year-old who runs the liquor store. Does that make sense to you? No. Yeah. So, dare I say, was he roofied? I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, it sounds like they're drugged. Yeah, sounds like it. But So key logs indicate that they arrived at the Smith's room at 3.52 a.m. Okay. And they realized that Jennifer's nowhere to be seen. She's not in the room. George, still drunk, but he insists that they go look for her. And after a small debate with the others, they agree. So they take him back out there. <laughs> but with no success, they didn't find her. They returned to the room at 4.01 a.m. Just so when, nine when, minutes nine later. Nine minutes, okay. Nine minutes. So they didn't really look very long. No, that ship is huge. Yeah, so either they just couldn't really carry him around. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So after this... This is the last anyone's seen of George. Okay? That's it. They, they put him to bed. That's it. They leave. So, what happened to George? I don't know. Well. Tell me. At 7.30 a.m., the shit docks in Turkey, and a 16-year-old, Emily Roush, from Chicago, will step onto her seventh-floor balcony and take pictures of the beautiful scenery. Mm-hmm. She'll look down, and she'll see a big blood stain. Now, it's a big blood stain. Like, a 16-year-old can tell that somebody probably died in that spot because there was a lot of blood. She shows her parents, and authorities are notified, and it's basically a lockdown after that. Now, more details are going to start flooding in, and y'all can make your own conclusions as to what happened. But at this point, cruise authorities' goal is to... And they've ported. They've reached the port. They've docked. Yeah, they're, they're, they're stopped at Turkey. So their goal... Did she discover the blood? Do you know if they had people already been getting off the ship or they had just pulled up? No, they had just pulled up. Okay. Yeah. Because I was thinking somebody could have... Got out. Got and off left. and they would have never known. Yeah, no, because the crews, they shut it down. Okay. So nobody was getting off until they were done with their investigation. Gotcha. Their goal at this point was to account for everyone on the ship... So their plan, for obvious reasons, was to start with the rooms directly above where the blood stain was. Mm-hmm. And they knew that George and Jennifer's room had had multiple co- uh, complaints called on them the night before for noise, 
Oh, gosh. So they're like, well, let's look at their room first. And they get in there. Nobody's there. Doesn't look like there's been a scuffle or anything. Like, the room wasn't trashed, but they needed to find George and Jennifer. So they find out that Jennifer was actually at a spa getting a massage that was supposed to be a couple's massage with George, but he wasn't there. So How early was this massage? It was like 8, 8.30, I think. Dude, I'm sleeping in. Right. <laughs> Especially after a night like that. You know? So they questioned her, like, where's George? And she couldn't remember anything from the night before past when they left the casino. Oh. She had no idea what was going on. So she was like, I don't know. George might be in one of the guy's rooms passed out or something, or he's just out wandering the cruise ship and I'll meet him later or something. She had no idea. Um, Yeah. If you're on a honeymoon, why would you ever... If you didn't show (laughs) up for a massage (laughs) or if we had planned to get breakfast, whether you slept in somebody else's room or not, I'm hunting your ass down. (laughs) Where'd you go? Well... They told her that... I guess I love you more than she loved him. Oh, don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) But probably. So she... They tell her that George must have gone overboard by accident. Yeah. So That's their first assumption? Pretty much. Yeah. I hate to ruin your massage. I know you're relaxing, but... They couldn't find him, so... That's what they told her, and she was basically in shock you know and she is frantically calling her loved ones trying to get in touch with george's family so paul and galinda also received a knock on their door they were you know asking if they had seen Mm -hmm. george and paul was like what do you mean have i seen george and they were told george was missing so they were brought down to guest relations for questioning and then josh askin had come forward to let them know that he had helped george to his room that night and that george was pretty drunk Mm-hmm. And when he when they told him that Jennifer was a sp- suspect, he was adamant that she had nothing to do with it. Because they couldn't find her. Yeah. But that they needed to bring Lloyd both in for questioning. That's the casino manager. Yes. So Josh asking from the start is like pointing fingers at Lloyd. That's who he's thinking did it or had something to do with it. The Russians were brought down for questioning, too, as they were the last to see George as well, but they seemed to have all their stories straight. Josh's dad was also there. He was secretly recording this, so it's out there for people to view if they want to watch oh, that's cool. the interviews on the, on the ship. So Turkish officials were brought on the ship to inspect the Smith's room. They took blood samples off the lightboat canopy and combed stateroom 9062 for clues. And on George and Jennifer's bed sheets, they found two diamond-shaped bloodstains. Very small bloodstains, but big enough to suggest someone was hurt, you know. Diamond-shaped. So what, what could this have been from? Like a grate, a floor grate, you know what I'm talking about? Kind of like the what's on the boardwalk out here, but like more metallic. Maybe, maybe. Because I remember when I was in elementary school, we had a, a large wooden 
um, playground and it had these little metal bits that would stick out every once in a while to connect pieces and I fell and one went straight into my knee and it's almost a shape like a diamond. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Bree and Maureen, now this is George's sister and his mom. They suggest... So many names. I know. They suggest it could have been from someone trying to take his watch from him. The Breitling watch, that mm-hmm. $4,000 to $40,000 watch that he wears all the time. The watch was new and very hard to get on and off. So there could be motive right there. If y'all hear noises, we're in our condo. Somebody's it's, moving somebody's furniture moving around. furniture above <laughs> us. So Turkish officials only spent two hours in there, then told cruise officials that they were done. They could clean the room. And only four hours later, the ship was on the move. Four hours, done. Turkish don't care. Cruise ship captain Michael Tardis was convinced from the start that George falling to his death was an accident. He said he saw butt prints on the railing in the dew and claimed that George was probably smoking a cigar, getting some fresh air, and a big wave sent him overboard to his death. He didn't want to stick around in Turkey, and he seemed more worried about getting to the next stop on time. That railing's four foot tall. I'm five foot. George George Smith is six four, so he's like five inches taller than me. And where did it hit when know. you stood next to our railing? Our railing at the balcony in our Airbnb right now is like three and a half feet, and it was like abdomen abdomen area, but. He would have to be jumped up sitting on the railing. That's What's dangerous. What's weird to me is, like, if you're just chilling by yourself outside smoking a cigar, you're not going to just sit on the railing unless someone's there for you to talk to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you would you would be looking out probably right. or sitting in a chair. But There's if someone's, chairs out there, too. So yeah, like, so if on. somebody's sitting in a chair talking to you, you might be facing them sitting on the balcony. I know he's drunk, but I feel like... You'd be smarter than that just to sit on the railing. Hmm. Okay, proceed. Okay, go on. I'm sorry, this is going to drive me crazy. And FBI didn't board the ship for another two days, which makes you think that the captain delayed telling them because his belief that it was an accident. So he was just trying to cover it up and not make it look bad on him. Jennifer, she stayed in Turkey thinking the same thing, that her drunk husband had to have fell overboard. Her father ended up wiring money to her for a flight back to the States. The crews didn't help her at all, basically just left her there and said good luck. She just had lost her husband and was all alone, and I'm sure in complete shock, and they just said, here you go, good luck. (sighs) The cruise authorities got statements from the three Russians and Josh. According to them, they were at the casino with George, Jennifer, and Josh till it closed at 2.30. Then they met up with them at the disco. They said Jennifer had been flirting with other men and George was pretty drunk. And he went up to her and said, hey, you hussy. And they got into an <laughs> argument. Who anybody a I hussy know, right? nowadays? <laughs> that isn't... <laughs> so eventually, like other reports, <laughs> Jennifer kicked him in the balls. And according to them, she left with Lloyd. So... Josh keeps saying, Mm -hmm. Lloyd, this guy. They helped George back to his room where they realized Jennifer wasn't there, like I said, and George panicked, and they helped look for Jennifer back at the lounge and the pool area. They got him back, and the three Russians took George's shoes off and put him to bed while Josh used the restroom. They said 
George thanked him numerous times, so he was back in a good mood. I don't know how he went from panicked to happy all of a sudden, even though they didn't find Jennifer. Mm -hmm. But that was their story. Then they said they went back to their room for a room service party at 4.30 where they had just a ridiculous amount of food, mainly tuna sandwiches and burgers. But if you've ever been on a cruise ship, it takes forever for room service. I've tried to order room service multiple times, and it's like 30, 40, maybe an hour before you get your food. And sometimes, like one time, I never even got food. That's so like DoorDash. That being their alibi is going to come into question. Okay. They claim they got it in 15 minutes, but there was never any reports from the kitchen that confirmed this. And remember, the security staff told the kitchen not to take any orders from them. That's right. So a lot of what the Russians and Josh said just isn't, isn't adding, adding up. So Juan Gomez, the bartender at the lounge, said that after he made last call... Greg Rosenberg ordered four shots of vodka for himself, George, Jennifer, and another man. So, also, cruise ships, they mix those drinks very strong. So don't order like Long Island iced teas unless you have a chaperone. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know about Royal Caribbean, but Carnival Cruise Lines offer the drink deal where you can spend $50 a day and you have a 15 drink limit. I'm sure it's something very similar. Yeah, they've probably got something like that. But I know guys who have definitely taken advantage of that, but I would not last two days. <laughs> I had, what, one or two mojitos on ours? You and were I, feeling good after two I was, mojitos. God, that sugar, man. Oh, I felt like a piece of crap. <laughs> oh, I couldn't do it again. I don't know how people do it. Right. Well, they're professionals probably, but not me. Mm. Can't do it more no. than once. No. <laughs> My one bottle of... Mimosas that I made. Mimosa Meg, if y'all don't know. Yeah, I do love my mimosas, but I couldn't do it anymore. That one day, and I was like, all right, I'm done. Yeah, I had one beer yesterday, and I was good. <laughs> <laughs> Gomez, okay, the bartender, reported seeing them drinking from their own bottle that they snuck in, which was probably the absent. Okay. Because Josh had gone back to his room at 3.05, according to the key logs, mm -hmm. probably to get that bottle and sneak it back into the lounge. So they were taking straight shots of absinthe. <laughs> huh, right? The story about Jennifer leaving with Lloyd turned out to be completely false. Oh, Lloyd, good. Yeah, right. Lloyd left the disco lounge at least five minutes before Jennifer did with his friends. And his girlfriend confirmed that he showed up at her room that night and Jennifer was actually seen struggling back to her room. One cleaner had to help her to the elevators and get her on the ninth floor to her room, but it turns out she went the wrong direction. So this raises the question, why were Josh and the three Russians the only ones to tell this story of Jennifer and Lloyd, while everyone else contradicted it? Was this part of their master plan to blame everything on Lloyd? Yes. Yes, I think. It's not going to be proven, but that's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. Now, I mentioned earlier that there had been noise complaints called on George's room. Cletus Hyman, who is a deputy police chief in California, was staying in the room next to the Smiths with his wife. He said that just after 4 a.m., he woke up because of loud noises coming from next door. 
It sounded like they were playing drinking games, just a whole lot of noise, and nothing sounded overtly aggressive. Then it turned into what sounded like an argument, but they didn't sound angry, just an agreement, you know, drunk people. Mm -hmm. At that point, he called guest services and even banged on the walls, and there was talking in the room still, but he couldn't make out what they are saying. It was kind of like they were speaking Spanish. It went quiet for five minutes. Then there was a loud arguing on the balcony. After about two minutes, he heard someone saying, good night, good night, good night, trying to get them to leave. He heard voices outside his door. Then after a few seconds, he looks out and he sees three men walking down the hallway. Hyman checked his watch and it was 418. Now, if earlier reports indicate that there were four men helping George to his room, then what happened to that fourth man? Did he stay behind in George's room trying to rob him? So... Or did Hyman just not see that fourth? Maybe he was in front of the other three? But, I mean, I would trust a deputy police chief to get the facts right. They're trained for observation. Yeah. So... If we go by this, then maybe George was still alive up until 4 a.m., right? Mm-hmm. 4 so at least, he so was at still least. alive. But. Hypothetically. Then it sounded like one person was in the room moving furniture around, opening and closing cabinets, like upstairs right now. The neighbor on the other side of the Smiths confirms the same thing, like. Heard a bunch of. Yeah. Knocking about. So. They heard one voice at this time. So I'm assuming one man stayed behind, unless it was George. But, I mean, he was wasted. They had to put him to bed, apparently. I was say, he was, yeah. quote-unquote, passed out. Then if he was passed out and the other guys left, then maybe he, there was one man maybe. going through his stuff. The commotion died down for a few minutes. Then at 4.25 a.m., multiple sources, including Hyman, said they heard a horrific thud coming from the balcony. Nobody was heard leaving the room after that. Horrific thud. A horrific thud. thud, Like somebody fell off the balcony and hit the awning. Huh. What a weird way to describe a thud. Horrific thud. Because when you think horrific, I'm thinking there was a, a scream or something involved. Horrific thud. Right. The next sound that was heard at 4.30 was two security guards answering Hyman's noise complaint. He tells them they better get over there and check that out, but when they got there, they didn't hear anything, so they just went away, right? Didn't do their jobs. About that same time, Jennifer was found passed out in the hallway on the opposite side of the ship, still on the ninth floor, but you know she went the wrong way. She was out cold. Okay, so that's where she was, though. Yeah, so she's got her alibi. A few employees (laughs) would later help her in her room in a wheelchair and put her to bed around 5 a.m. That's so embarrassing. Well, she has no idea where she's at. She doesn't remember this. They recollected that the room did not look like it had been disturbed and that the curtains to the balcony were closed and still, you know, so if there was a breeze, those curtains would probably be flowing. Yes, which led them to believe the doors to the balcony were closed. Okay. So. Jesus. I'm never going on another cruise. 
Unless we get to investigate. <laughs> right. The Russians and Josh were confident that their alibi would hold up their room service party. They had taken pictures of all the food they had ordered, but no records indicate that they ever received room service. And you have to remember the kitchen staff, who knows who these boys were, were told not to accept any order from them. And I'm sure back in 2005, right? Is that the yeah, year? Yeah, 2005. You've got some sort of printer system like we got at the restaurant. You can doctor or... the times and dates on a picture, right? Right. But like if a, like on our printer computer, oh, yeah. we have like name, table number, number of party, and then it has a timestamp that it prints like that exact moment in time with like the seconds and everything. Hmm. I mean, obviously it's a little more sophisticated nowadays, but you would think something like that so you could keep record. Right. Would, I guess, I mean, there could be a human error in that case, but... That's strange. A couple days go by, and Josh Askin and the Russians continue to raise suspicion. Okay. Josh asking a cabin attendant or asked a cabin attendant, Francis Isidro, whether or not video cameras were installed in the corridors. Isidro says, yes, they were. And Josh asked where, but Isidro refused to tell him. <laughs> then the head cleaner, Joanne Cox, just coincidentally rode an elevator with Josh and his shipboard girlfriend and overheard him say, assholes got me in trouble, almost got me arrested in Turkey. I know more than they think I know. What does he mean by that? So if you thought for a second, oh, these guys couldn't or wouldn't do something as crazy as murder, then just wait to hear this. Are you ready? Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I'm, I'm, my eyes are bugging out. On the night of July 6th leading into July 7th, an 18-year-old girl told her friend that, that she was staying with that she was raped. When asked who did it, she says Jeff, Greg, and Rusty that she knew of. Three? Yeah. She was drinking vodka with them in the hot tub on deck 11, and she started to feel tipsy and got out of the hot tub. Jeff and Greg offered to take her to her room and asked where it was, and she, they, and she told them, but... They ended up taking her back to their room instead. Jeff got on top of her, and Greg got out his video camera. She then describes in graphic but strobe-like detail having sex with Jeff, Greg, and Rusty, and she says Josh was also in the room at some point but doesn't think he raped her. She said that she blacked out numerous times and later opened her eyes amazed that she could see. So, was she roofied too? No, she's 18. She's a baby. Yeah. I don't think she was roofie. I just don't think she's ever drank before in her Probably life. Probably true. True. <sighs> On July 8th, after the young woman came forward, Royal Caribbean officials sat down for a tense meeting with the Rosenbergs and Askins. Then when the ship docked in Naples the following day, the Royal Caribbean kicked them off the cruise. Italian officials looked into the rape charges but basically wanted nothing to do with it, saying they had no jurisdiction. So they let them go. They just got away with rape. Also found on this video camera was a recording from noon on July 5th. The Russians were gathered around a table at lunch. This was the day George died. 
They were making jokes about George. Rusty said that he parachuted from the balcony. And then at the end of the conversation, Greg stood up and put up gang signs and said, I told you I was gangster. So what made you gangster? You know, did you rob George and push him off the balcony? Like, are they just trying to act cool in front of each other now? Like, they know George died. But how can somebody say he just parachuted off the balcony without knowing what happened? So following this incident, from here on out, it's all legal activity. George's family, George the Third, which is his father, Marine, and his sister Bree, they fight from the very beginning for George, claiming that foul play was definitely involved. Yes. Yes. They flew to it, or they flew to Turkey and handed out flyers and searching for their son. And they were by Jennifer's side when she got home, but. Jennifer was just, you know, not comfortable talking about the night of the incident, which, I mean, I don't blame her. I wouldn't well, she can't keep remember bringing it, it up. Yeah, true. In 2006, Jennifer, who was the administrator of George's estate and who had been very upset with the way Royal Caribbean treated her, surprised the Smiths by settling George's potential wrongful death claim against the cruise liner for just $1,050,000. Pocket change for a cruise line? Oh, yeah. Now, Michael Jones, who is the family's lawyer, argued that this amount fell far too short of Georgia's earning potential. They felt she was more worried about any embarrassment that would come from disclosures at the trial. The family and Jennifer's relationship was never the same after this. I don't care if I look like a hot mess. If something ever happened to you, I just... I'm going to look like that crazy homeless woman with my hair all strung out because I'm going like, to be digging deep oh, trying thanks. to find out. You're welcome. <laughs> you become a law student. You're just going to read all the books. All and of the books. You're going to solve the crime yourself. Yes. I've always wanted to be a, a cop, so perfect. Hell yeah. Well, Jennifer ended up with the majority of the criticism having remarried a f- just a few years later and had a child. In 2008, after extensive witness testimony in Greenwich Probate Court, Judge David Hopper upheld the settlement, saying Jennifer had acted prudently. The Smiths appealed to Stanford Superior Court, and then in 2010, shortly before that case was to go to trial, Jennifer, the Smiths, and Royal Caribbean reached an amended settlement worth $1.3 million, which required the release to both families the cruise liner's case file. Oh, good. Yeah. So they got a lot of the behind-the-scenes information that hadn't been known for five years. God, it took that long. Right. Meanwhile, Michael Jones, the family attorney, was holding depositions with all persons of interest in the case. Josh Askins answered every question presented to him with, I invoke the Fifth Amendment right. So before that, the the FBI had grilled him pretty hard for information and said if his story changed in any way, he'd be charged with perjury. So his Mm -hmm. attorney advised him not to risk it. After this deposition, Keith Greer, which is Askin's attorney, told Michael Jones, the family's attorney, privately that he should take a close look at Greg Rosenberg. Okay. Josh told him that... Josh told Keith that Greg had disappeared from the alleged room service party, so it does sound like Askins really does know more than he thought he did, or they thought he did. Not to mention... Can you imagine how he... 
must feel or like how that guilt's just been rising in your stomach, whether he was part of it or not, the fact that you know something that could bring comfort or close a case or just... Right, yeah. He, he probably has got the worst I mean, ulcers. Michael Jones to this day says that the answer is lying in California with Josh asking. Like he feels like he knows something. Mm-hmm. When Jones questioned Zach Rosenberg... He, too, invoked the Fifth Amendment rights repeatedly, and Jones could say nothing about Rusty Kaufman's deposition due to an agreement with his attorney. I also forgot to mention that both Jennifer and Lloyd passed their polygraph, te- polygraph tests, so they were in the clear. So, Greg Rosenberg, he had a lot to say. In 2010... Jones found Greg serving a three-year sentence in Florida State Prison for trafficking oxycodone. Oh, my gosh. Greg said it was a crime committed to support his lavish lifestyle and his clothes, jewelry, and watches. Watches? Watches. Greg denied having sex with the young woman on the ship, even though he had to have known there was videotape proof. Now, I'm going to play a clip of... Greg Rosenberg. It's like four minutes long, so if you want to listen to some of it, you can. If you want to skip ahead, it's up to you, but I find it very interesting. Do you promise or affirm that the testimony you're about to give in this action will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Do you have any idea what, what happened or what you think happened? No, I wish I did because I... I've been through enough, like, I, I've been through enough to it, through it, too, you know. People getting subpoenaed on my name, write statements, and searching, and people call me a murderer because they don't know the truth. I got the internet blasting my name, detriment of character, uh, a lot of uh, assuming, and, uh, you know, people jump to conclusions. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I got it worse than my cousins did, maybe because of the lifestyle I lived, you know. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything to do with George's death? No, never did. Never will, never thought about it, no. Did he do any of your cousins? No. How about Josh? No. I could say no. I don't think he's that type of dude. Uh, how about, you? have you talked to your cousins since the cruise? Yeah. yeah. I, okay. Here and there, relation, me and my cousins' relationships on that side Not of the same. It never was, we never really were tight. We're two different individuals, okay. like I explained okay. to you. Have you seen Rusty since or talked to him? One time. When I, when I went back to live in New York, uh, when I went back to hang out in New York a couple times, I've seen him. I've, I've had plenty of times where I wanted to go on CBS, CNN, mm-hmm. and do something like this. And, but I just know they're going to lead to, oh, you've been in prison, and it's just going to lead to me looking even worse. <coughs> you know what I mean? You can't, judge, you can't judge a book by its cover, neither. Mm-hmm. Everybody goes through their trials and tribulations in life. I, I took this course, that I, this little fork and road to go positive. You know, I was always taught a positive road is is very narrow and easy to fall off. A negative road is wide and corroded. It's easy to jump on a bandwagon. Man, if I knew who killed George, or if I knew what happened to George, or any, 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 any anything that happened with the man that I could help with, I put that on record, man, I would help. Mm-hmm. Why not? Mm-hmm. Innocent man got hurt for no reason, man. I, I'm all for it. I'll testify, I'll do whatever I gotta do. You know what I'm saying? Man? I feel like I also feel like I in in due time I should get some I should get some um some credentials. 
Maybe not. Maybe that's the wrong word. I, I should get paid for my for my suffering. Because of what you you've been put through. Yeah, for for what my family's been through, the money they spent on lawyers for unnecessary reasons, being treated like a suspect, DNA samples getting taken, hair ripped out your head, swabs of the mouth for what? Putting me on the internet on blast, putting me on CNN on blast, making a movie about me that's supposed to show tonight. I don't deserve that. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Especially when I was willing to help. Uh, somebody will pay me for it. Did you tell Did you tell the cruise line that you were willing to help? Yes. Yeah. We all did, but we were gonna keep our mouth shut until we got a lawyer. A lawyer. We got to turn it up, and then we could do it properly. Mm -hmm. I even offered. I even offered polygraphs and everything, man. You never came back and told anybody that you had something to do with it, right? No, never. Okay. All right. I never. I've been asked that question five million times. Which question? The question I just. How asked you, you did that? Did you? What did you do that night? Did you kill him? Did you do this? First off, if I did do that, I wouldn't be sitting here right here with you. Mm -hmm. That's first off. I wouldn't talk to you. Second off, I, every, every person that ever asked me that question, I say, man, whatever happened that night, man, is dead and gone. And that's it. And it ain't my business. That's and to the point. Part of it. Yeah, and I'm not part of it. It was to the point where I just didn't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I, and somebody asked me a question, I told him, man, I don't know what happened. It ain't your business. Whatever happened, happened, man. What, what you want to know? You think I'm a murderer? You want to find out? That's what I would tell them. You Just get them the hell off. Out. That's what I would do. I'm that type of dude. I, I could be either really nice and fall back and lean and chill out, or I could be aggressive. I'm sure everybody has uh, animal nature in them. So, what do you think about that? Dude. I just, I don't know about that guy. Greg says he knows nothing about the disappearance of George. He said he cooperated fully with the FBI, but his poly polygraph came back inconclusive due to his ADHD. That's... He said, I guess you could tell I like to move a lot. Ain't no lies that I need to tell. Oh, my gosh. He was fo so focused on how he was a good person and could never kill someone. But his chattiness comes to a halt when asked if Jennifer was involved, saying no comment. He also drew a blank when he was asked if there was anything in George's room that he left behind that would connect him to the crime. So he's thinking, oh, shit, did I leave something behind? Mm -hmm. You know, he goes on to say, why would somebody want to go overboard that's a millionaire anyways? He says, dude did not kill himself. I don't think he slipped and fell. Somebody hurt the dude, man. Somebody hurt him. Something crazy went down that night. Is he saying that because he was a witness or he did it? Right. I don't The way know. he words it makes it seem that, oh, it, it wasn't me. And like he said in the interview, he's got a aggressive, aggressive side. Everybody's got an aggressive well, side. Yeah, that's true. Don't mess with my critters. <laughs> in the end, FBI closed the case in 2015, and it has remained Ten unsolved years. ever since. They really oh. just didn't have any or have enough to charge anyone if things had gone different and authorities had taken the proper time and effort to investigate and secure the room, maybe things would be different. Everyone said they did everything they could to solve the case, but I just they didn't. I find that hard to believe. If it's everyone all about put money. the effort yeah, if everyone put the effort in that George's family did, I think this could have played out in their favor. Because you said they were only dogged. Yeah. And kept everybody inside for a few hours, and then they went about their business. Yeah, the captain didn't want the publicity <laughs> and the blowback. 
I mean, he was just strongly convincing everyone that it was an accident from the jump. But now it's like botting him in the butt because it doesn't matter because it's everybody knows that mm-hmm. this happened. Yet people still take cruises. It didn't deter them. Yeah. You could have. Mm. I saw that there was a camera on the side of the ship that faces the lifeboats, but I don't know if that was ever checked. I don't think it was because I'm sure that could have showed something if it was even like an active camera. No real closure for the family. The The family has offered a reward of $100,000 for any information wow. that leads to an arrest and conviction of whoever is responsible. If I had any advice to give after my research, my extensive research Very in this extensive. case, it'd be to be careful who you trust, be vigilant, be careful what you tell people, and don't let your guard down. And if you're going to drink, drink with people you know and that'll look after you. And not what they were drinking. <laughs> yeah, don't drink absinthe, please. Georgia's mother, Marine, can't help but wear Georgia's loss heavily. She says, We're not the people we were before. I see his face in front of me all the time. I hear his voice. You can't have him taken away from you in one split second, and nobody explains why or where he went. It can't happen. It's not going to happen. Hmm. Yeah, that's sad. Is that? That's it. That's it. That's it. That's That's the most I've talked in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) That. Isn't that crazy? Ugh. That's a lot. That was a lot. And they. I picked a big one to start out with. I love it. Did they ever um, do any more about that? Young girl that got raped in the video? You mean in like the interviews or what? I mean, well, that's obviously another witness to I say didn't that really they're look not a more good. into that one. Because what if Jennifer was too? I, what if they raped her as well after they've rupeed her and then they just left her in the hallway? In the hallway? I don't think so. They could have taken her anywhere and done that because she don't remember anything. Who knows? So they wanted to say that she left with somebody else, but it's really all of them she probably still left with. Maybe. I don't know. What a downward spiral that was. No wonder you kept talking to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) All the days I spent researching. Uh I was like, I'm going to get it down. I just got to get all these times together because there's so many accounts, so many things to look at. So... We were out on the beach, and he was listening to some podcast cover something, and he was like, well, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, they had something way off, which hopefully I don't, but y'all can fact that check was good, it. Though. You did good. <laughs> Thanks. Well, thank y'all for tuning in to another episode of Caught Red Podcast. That was a little bit longer than normal. It's about an, an hour long. We normally do like 30 minutes, but that was a big case. I'm so proud of Jesse. Thanks. Welcome, love. Well. We'll be back next week. We will probably be. Probably for another Arkansas one. Yes. I was going to say, this is our, our last day here in Gulf Shores. It's a, it's Sunday today. Um, and then we've had a good time. Laid out. Gone to a few places. We went on a, a Ghost and Graveyards tour with Go Retros, the company. And that was very cool. I learned a lot. I like that. That was very fun. But I'm, I can't wait to go home to our... You're ready to see our critters. Our critters. But it's been nice sleeping past like 4.30 or 5 without a cat 
or two or three banging <laughs> on the door and then Ripley in our face who yeah. went to eat breakfast because that's like her favorite thing in this whole world. We're just going to have to buy a van and take them with us <gasps> next time. Don't tempt me. We want to thank my parents for watching our girls while we're gone and Hound's Hideaway for keeping our boys and then we got to do a shout out to Hannah and JJ for checking in on the cats and well, they checked in on Breeze, the other two. Well, they found Finny behind the... Yeah, behind the washer and the dryer. Washer and she dry. does not like anyone besides her mama. She loves her mama. That's it? That's it. That was great. Good job, love. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for another episode with us.